We're going to continue our study in the book of Exodus this evening, and we are up to Passover. Uh, we're going to spend the next couple of sermons examining this uh, most fascinating and exhilarating portion of Scripture. This is one of the most important texts within the whole Old Testament. And we see the significance of it because the whole calendar is changed, we see in the text, as a result of the Passover. Before the Jews operated on just the agricultural calendar, but now a whole religious calendar would be implemented from the Passover. Now if you remember, we have spent uh, some time in considering the plague drama where Yahweh takes on the plethora of Egyptian deities. We are reminded in Exodus 12.12 that the deconstruction of this religious system was at the heart of the whole plague drama. And yet despite Egypt being in absolute chaos, despite the obvious absence of their deities... Their stubborn leader still refused to release God's firstborn. The warnings and chances have been many. And now the time has arrived for the unleashing of this final plague. So the text is the first 13 verses of Exodus chapter 12. So Exodus chapter 12 and we'll read from verse 1. I hear the voice of God as he speaks to us. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. And if the household be too little for the lamb... Let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it from the sheep or from the goats. And you shall keep it up until the fourteenth day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door post of the houses wherein they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden at all with water, but roast with fire his head, with his legs, and with the pertinence thereof. And ye shall let nothing of it remain until the morning." And that which remaineth of it until the morning ye shall burn with fire. And thus shall ye eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord." And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. Amen.
And the title for the sermon this, this evening is God has provided the Lamb. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that we can gather um, as your people in this very uh, simple way. Father, we thank you for uh, your word. And we do thank you, Father, for, uh, for the Passover account that we have recorded before us. And oh Lord, please help us as we study this this evening. And Lord, help us to understand uh, what this text is really all about and what it is pointing towards. Father, please help us with this, I pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. Now, as we read and study the Old Testament, it's very easy to become enthralled with the narrative, so much so that we miss the big picture. Now, it is crucial for us to remember that it is all about Jesus. Oh, Jonathan Edwards wrote that Christ and his redemption are the subject of the whole word of God. And this is certainly true about the first Passover. Oh, the Passover that we have recorded before us illustrates the gospel. It points us to Jesus, to the cross. And the New Testament ensures that we do not miss this vital link. For 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says, For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. You know, we must see Christ. We must see the gospel as we study the Passover. For that is the whole point. It's not simply a fascinating story for our enjoyment, but this is purposefully designed to point us to something bigger and better, to picture something grander and greater. And it is my intention this evening to show you how the Passover points us to Christ. It points us to the cross, how the Paschal Lamb foreshadows the Lamb of God. And I want to do this under four headings. They being the problem that necessitated the lamb, the plan for the lamb, the purity of the lamb, and the provision by the lamb. So firstly, I want to see the problem that necessitated the lamb. It's not too hard for us to understand why God plagued the Egyptians. This is no surprise to us. Their wicked leader had refused to release God's people. And the plagues confronted and ultimately destroyed Egypt's idolatrous system. Despite sending plague upon plague, nine in all, this had completely devastated everything in Egypt. And yet their leader still refused to release God's people, to release God's firstborn. And hence the time had arrived for the final plague, the one that would deliver ultimate destruction. This would reveal the Lord's total lordship over the Egyptians and their false gods and providing perfect justice for the treatment of his people. But what may be at least somewhat surprising is the fact that Israel, God's people, were under the same death sentence as the Egyptians. For as the destroyer, as the angel of the Lord, moves his way through the land, bringing death to every house in Egypt, he also visited the home of every 
Israelites. They were not exempt from this final plague as they had been previously. They had before been left unscathed because God had made a distinction between His people and Pharaoh's people. And as the Egyptians had been battered and bruised by plague after plague, the Israelites had watched from the safety of Goshen. But now this all changed. For they too were in danger with this final plague. In fact, if God had not provided the means for their salvation, Israel too would have suffered the loss of every single firstborn. Now the question is, why was Israel not spared from this final plague? And the answer is that Israel were guilty just like Egypt. They deserved to die just like their enemies, for they too had sinned. The Passover was designed by God to teach about sin and His provision of salvation from it. God's people had sinned in several ways. We're told this in the Word of God. We know that they rejected the Word of God's prophets. They rejected what Moses told them. So in other words, they were guilty of not listening to God just like Pharaoh. Do you remember their response towards Moses after he returned from his first appearance before Pharaoh? It didn't go too well. Pharaoh increased their labor And they said in the 21st verse of chapter 5, O the Lord look upon you and judge, because ye have made our Saviour to be abhorred in the eyes of Pharaoh, and in the eyes of his servants to put a sword in their hand to slay us. They resisted God's prophet. In fact, they pronounced a curse upon him. And hence there was two nations in Egypt who refused to hearken to the word of the Lord. And hence, when judgment came, neither were going to escape. Now, we also know that the Israelites had become engulfed in Egyptian idolatry. Now, when Joshua renewed the covenant at Shechem in Joshua 24, he said this, he said, Put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve ye the Lord. There's a problem with idolatry. Ezekiel chapter 20 verses 7 and 8. You can look that up later. But this highlights the idolatry that the people were engulfed in in Egypt. We must remember that these people have been in captivity for centuries. And the Egyptian way of life had certainly rubbed off. And they grew to love the gods of Egypt. And this is why they would be subjected to this final plague. But even if they had not of committed gross sin, this judgment would still be justified because they were sinners by nature. Now all mankind are sinners because we are born in Adam. In him we all sinned. He was the, the federal head or the representative of the whole human race. And due to that failure, we are all born in sin. And the guilt of that is imputed to us. And the Israelites were not exempt. 
And the reason that the death angel visited Israel along with Egypt at the Passover is because sin is a capital offense. Death is the just punishment. That's the teaching of the Bible, isn't it? Romans 6.23 makes this clear. The wages or the payment for sin is death. Spiritual separation from God forever along with physical death. And since all mankind are sinners by nature and by action, we all have the death penalty hanging over our heads. For in Adam, death came upon all men for that all have sinned. And this tenth plague was a sign of God's judgment against sin and Israel was guilty. And my friends, so are you and so am I. That is the message of the gospel. For the Bible teaches that all have sinned. And just as the Israelites were faced with this judgment, so will all mankind. For death strikes everyone. And without our sin problem being addressed, spiritual separation from God in the lake of fire, that's the destination that all mankind in Adam will find themselves in. And it is this sin problem that plagues all humanity that necessitated the Lamb. Israel would have lost their firstborn if it wasn't for the Lamb. And this leads to the second point, which I've entitled, The Plan to Provide a Lamb. Now in His great mercy, the Lord provided a way to be saved from the death angel. And that was by a lamb dying, or a lamb taking the place of the firstborn. Israel did not deserve this provision, and yet the Lord was good. He was bountiful in grace, providing a way to be saved. And this lamb was a divine appointment. Notice in verse 11, it's described, this is the Lord's Passover. This was not Man's idea, this is God's idea. And the salvation was only possible because God provided a way. The Israelites could not save themselves. There was nothing that they could do to save the firstborn apart from following God's prescribed plan in verse 7. Of taking the blood from the lamb and applying it to the doorposts. And this plan originated in Him, in God. It was designed by Him. And without He providing this plan, salvation would not be possible. And hence we can see the the parallel with the Gospel. Salvation is a divine plan. It is God's plan. It originated in Him in eternity past. And without He, in His grace, providing the means, salvation would be an impossibility. And continuing this thought on salvation being God's plan, we see from the text that there is only one way for the firstborn to be spared. God did not appoint a number of ways to escape, but His plan involved only one way, and that was through the Lamb. And you know, the lesson, the parallel with the gospel is that there is no salvation outside of the means that God provides. 
There is only one way to experience salvation, that is through Jesus Christ. That's the message of Acts 4.12 where it says, Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So in continuing, considering that the Lamb was God's plan, it would do us well to remember that right throughout the Scriptures, we see that the Lamb was God's appointed means to protect men from judgments. Abel brought a lamb. Genesis 22, that famous account where Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son. Now Isaac's heading up the mountain, he's looking around, he's, Dad, where is the sacrifice? There's something missing. And Abraham said, you know, the Lord will provide himself a lamb. Oh, the lamb is the means that God ordained for the firstborn to be spared in the text before us. It's seen throughout the varying sacrifices. We see it in Isaiah 53. So it's evident right throughout the Old Testament that a lamb was the ordained means. And in understanding this context, the language used in the New Testament makes much more sense. The words that John the Baptist declared, Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. This all dovetails back into the Old Testament teaching. Jesus is spoken of as a lamb in the Apostle Peter's first epistle. The precious blood of Christ as of a lamb. In the last book of the Bible, Revelation, Christ is spoken of as a lamb some 28 times. It begins with Christ the lamb was slain, Revelation 5.6, and ends with the lamb on the throne. So from Genesis to Revelation, we learn that God appointed a lamb to provide salvation for mankind, and that lamb is Jesus Christ. The Lamb in the Old Testament is a picture pointing to the Lamb of God. The one who died to provide salvation once for all. And this was all planned by God. This is His gracious provision. But we must understand that not any old Lamb would do. And this leads to the third point, the purity of the Lamb. And this is where there is a lot of symbolism pointing to Christ. In verse 3, the instructions are given that on the tenth day of the month, a Lamb must be selected. The Lamb would not be put to death until the fourteenth day. And hence, this Lamb would become part of the family for this period of time. These days would be used as an observation period to ensure that this lamb was fit and worthy. But also in this time, the lamb would become a part of the family. It would become cherished. And hence the giving of its life would mean so much more to the family, particularly the firstborn. That this lamb that this family has looked after for days lost his life so the firstborn's life could be spared. 
Now, some scholars believe that this selection process was what Christ had in mind on Palm Sunday. For it was around this time that the lamb would be selected and be brought into the city. And this was the reason that Christ was weeping over the city. He presented himself as the lamb, but the people missed the points. And perhaps there's some truth in that. Now the symbolism of the time between the selecting and the death may also be a picture of Christ's life. John the Baptist identified Jesus as the lamb at the start of his ministry. And then there was a period of time before he was sacrificed at the Passover. And during this time he was watched, he was observed, he was amongst the people. And they could see that he was perfect. And perhaps that is the picture. Now in verse 5 there are some very clear instructions given to determine the quality of the lamb that was chosen. We see that it had to be male, or it had to be one year old. This meaning that the lamb was in its prime. It wasn't an old ram that was about to die anyway. And the most important instruction, this lamb had to be spotless. It had to be flawless. There couldn't be any physical impairments. He couldn't be lame, couldn't be deaf, blind, spotted. There couldn't be any impurity. And the fact that this lamb had to be perfect quality is an element designed to teach a spiritual lesson. For these physical impurities would not affect the quality or the taste of the meat that was eaten at the meal. But this demand for perfection clearly points us to Christ. And in fact, Jesus fulfills all the criteria of the Passover lamb. He was a male. He was born a man. The gospel accounts make that clear. He died in the prime of his life just like the lamb. And he was free from any blemish. 1 Peter 1.19 says, But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spots. No, Jesus was free from any character impurity. Free from any defects. Now, he knew no sin, he did no sin, and in him was no sin. For Jesus to be the Passover lamb, he had to meet God's standard of perfection. He had to be morally pure, free from sin. And the scriptures are very careful to show to us that this was the case. At the virgin birth... This ensured that his nature was free from the corruption of original sin. Jesus couldn't have a human father because he would inherit sin. And furthermore, Jesus did not commit any actual transgressions. You know, he was free from all sin. We see this in the declaration of Pilate. You know, I find no fault in the man. He was completely and utterly free from sin and this qualified him to be the spotless and unblemished sacrificial lamb. And we must understand that if Jesus had of sinned or was corrupted by original sin, he could not die in our place for he would first have to die for his own sin. 
And hence, that is why the sinlessness of Christ is a necessity. For if He is not sinless, then He cannot save us. And as an aside, that's why the deity of Christ is so important, because if He's not God, He cannot fulfill this criteria. Now, the Passover lamb had to be pure, and so did the Lamb of God. And since the Lamb of God, since Jesus is pure, this allowed him to be the substitute to die in our place. And this leads into the fourth point, the provision by the Lamb. You know, on the 14th day, the Passover Lamb would be slain. This Lamb that had become part of the family. Now, the family would have identified with this Lamb. This is Our Passover lamb. And in the time of the evening, which speaks of probably between 3 to 5 p.m., everyone within the nation would sacrifice the lamb. And my friend, don't miss the significance of this time. For when Christ was on the cross, it was at this exact time period of time as all of the lambs were in the city of Jerusalem being slaughtered that Jesus was hanging on the cross the timing's exact as the blood of thousands of lambs filled the temple the blood of the lamb was flowing at the cross now it's also fascinating that in the preparation process for the Passover lamb The people are instructed in verse 46 that not a bone could be broken. This is the same as Christ, isn't it? Psalm prophesied this and on the cross not one bone was broken. And it's also fascinating that it's specified within the text that the lamb had to be roasted with fire. No other cooking method was appropriate. And I believe this is for two reasons. First of all, cooking in this way was the fastest way. And since they were leaving Egypt, there wouldn't be all the pots and pans that needed to be washed and cleaned. That's what the commentators suggest. But I'd also suggest that there is a picture involved in this. There is a, a symbol. For we know throughout the word of God that fire was a sign of God's judgments. And hence this points us to the cross where the wrath of God is poured out upon Jesus Christ in our place. But the most important thing to glean from the Passover is the fact that the death of the lamb was not enough. The blood had to be taken and applied over the door of the house. Verse 7. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door post of the houses. It was very interesting that excavations have uncovered that family names in Egypt were painted in brightly coloured hieroglyphics on the doorposts and the lintels. And perhaps the blood covered the name and we don't know. But what we can see from the text is that the prominent thing that God was looking for in the deliverance of Israel was the blood. Nothing mattered so much as the blood of the Lamb. 
For if God did not see the blood, judgment would fall. And without the blood being applied, there would be no salvation. The killing of the lamb would have done no good for anyone in Israel if the instructions regarding the lamb's blood were disregarded. Now the blood of the lamb in of itself had no no special mystical power, but rather the applying of the blood was a demonstration of confidence and acceptance of God's plan and power to rescue. And as the angel of the Lord passed over and the blood was applied, if he saw the blood, the firstborn would be spared. The lamb has provided salvation. And we see much of our salvation doctrine or theology pictured within this lamb. The lamb was a substitute. It took the place of the firstborn. The firstborn did not have to die because the lamb took his place. That is the doctrine of substitution. Now the Lord passed by because he saw the blood applied to the doorpost. This is what we call the doctrine of expiation. This speaks of blotting sin out. And there's also the doctrine of atonement, providing a covering. The blood covered the home. And as the Lord came to a house in Israel and he saw the blood, he knew that someone had died in the house, that the penalty had been executed and hence God could pass by. And this is the doctrine of propitiation. It turned away the wrath of God. Now this lamb provided salvation. The firstborn would be spared. But my friend, this whole process points us to Christ. That's what I want to stress. The provision of the Lamb at the Passover is pointing us to the Lamb of God. Now for my friend, the Passover was celebrated for centuries. Millions of animals were sacrificed. The historian Josephus documents that every Passover, several hundred thousand lambs were slain in Jerusalem. Now he rose around the time of Christ and a little bit after. You know, that is a lot of blood. And yet we must understand is that all of these sacrifices that have been offered, all of this blood that has been shed fails to provide soul salvation. Now Hebrews 10.4 says, For it's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Now, these sacrifices were simply a picture pointing us to Christ. For a more effective sacrifice, a more precious blood was required to save the souls of sinful humanity. And Jesus provided this. He completely fulfilled the Passover, doing what millions of sacrifices could not For their blood was of finite value, but Jesus' blood possesses infinite value. And hence, by shedding His blood in our place, He can provide salvation. Now, beloved, there is power in the blood of Jesus. 
and he shed his blood so that we might be saved. If Hebrews 9.22 tells us that without the shedding of blood there is no remission, there is no forgiveness. But the good news is that Jesus Christ did shed his blood and he is the perfect Lamb of God. And if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, if you, like the Israelites of old, have applied the blood, then the Lord will pass over you. You will be spared from the judgments of God. My friend, that is good news. You know, if you know Christ, when God looks at you, He sees the blood of His Son. And he says, it is enough. It is sufficient. The price has been fully paid. My justice has been completely satisfied. And eternal judgment will pass over you. And you will be safe forever. For the Lamb of God has taken your sins away. Jesus Christ is our Passover Lamb. Just like the firstborn, we are saved because of the Lamb. And as a result of His shed blood, we are completely forgiven. There is nothing left to pay. And we are eternally safe in the arms of God. For Jesus Christ, the Lamb, who shed His blood for us. Amen.